Hello, and welcome back to the Outdoor Minimalist Podcast. I'm your host, Meg Carney, and I'm an outdoor and environmental writer and author of the book, Outdoor Minimalist, Wasteless Hiking, Camping, and Backpacking. The Outdoor Minimalist Podcast has the goal to give listeners actionable ways to waste less hiking, camping, backpacking, and more during every step of their process. Your impact outdoors starts long before you hit the trail and goes beyond leave no trace ethics. You'll learn how to identify sustainable outdoor brands, how to ask hard questions regarding sustainability, and begin to shift and evolve your mindset to integrate minimalism into all of your outdoor pursuits. In episode 105 of the Outdoor Minimalist podcast, we return to a topic that most of us likely love. I know I do, and that is food. Trail food is something that brings me a lot of joy when I'm out in the backcountry, and it's also something that can easily boost my morale as I hike. It gives me something to look forward to on those final few miles before I reach camp, and it's a place for me to build connection and community in so many other settings. Still, camp food can be a real downer sometimes. I know I've made mistakes with camp meals by not packing the right combination of things or not testing out the recipe before I'm out and being sorely disappointed. Then there's always a chance that maybe you're relying really heavily on pre-made backpacking meals that just don't quite fit the bill. So when I had a chance to sit down and chat with a chef whose goal is to revitalize and reinvent the way we see our food outdoors, I had to jump on it. Chef Corso is the head chef and founder of Outdoor Eats, a company and community focused on elevating the outdoor food experience through fast, easy, and tasty recipes, cookbooks, and meal plans. He's a classically trained chef, training at the Culinary Institute of America in Napa Valley, and continuing his school in Northern Italy. He has a layered culinary history ranging from a research chef testing and developing new food products for companies like General Mills, Miller Coors, and more as well as an extensive experience as a head chef and culinary trainer for multiple brands in Seattle, Washington, training national and international teams. In his downtime away from the kitchen, he enjoys hiking and backpacking in the Olympic and North Cascades National Parks. And during that time, he noticed that most people were just boiling water and adding it to a bag or eating bars and jerky for days on end. He started testing recipes with the backpacker in mind, and the results changed his whole experience to better complement the outdoors. Chef Corso and Outdoor Eats are here to share that elevated experience. Adventuring plans on your calendar? Remember to grab your Lava Linens travel towel on your way out the door. Founded by a mother-daughter team, Lava Linens crafts durable, luxurious travel towels as a more sustainable and better performing alternative to microfiber and cotton towels. Powered by flax, hemp, and tensile, they're designed to be by your side for years to come. Use the code OUTDOORMINIMALIST for 15% off your next order. So thanks for joining me on the Outdoor Minimalist podcast, Chef Corso. I am a big fan of your work, and I'm looking forward to some of the insights that you have to share with us today. But before we jump right into the topic of discussion on today's episode, I like to ask all my guests just kind of like a general introductory question, which is, how do you, how did you get involved in outdoor recreation and how does it currently fit into your life? Nice. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here and I'm excited to talk about food on the trail with you. And you know, the interesting thing for my outdoor journey is that I grew up in the base of the Olympic National Park in Port Angeles, Washington, 
But my parents were and my family were not really big outdoors folks. And it really took I feel bad now because we had so much opportunity to explore all these trails and all these mountains. But it took me a bit to dip into backcountry hiking and camping. But, you know, like a lot of you guys out there, I had a friend invite me along on the first trip. And we hiked the Ozet Triangle on the Olympic coast, Washington coast. And that was the first little nugget into the outdoors. I was like, oh, this is pretty and this is fun. So it took me a little bit to fully buy all the gear and fully explore different trails in the Northwest where I'm from. But it's something that's a huge part of my life these days. I am from Seattle, from the Pacific Northwest, lived in Seattle for over 12 years. But these days I live and work remote. So I've been doing it for about two and a half years. And so I am outside all the time, whether that's hiking or exploring or just cooking dinner in the parking lot as I'm road tripping. Parking lot dinners just have a whole different vibe to them, don't they? <laughs> they do. And it's funny when you're staring at a Wendy's and you're not eating a cheeseburger, but you're having something tastier and healthier and cheaper. And for me, it's it's sometimes a lot more satisfying. Yeah. And food is kind of a big part of your life in general and your career, hence referring to you as Chef Corso. So when did you first decide you wanted to be a chef and how did you pursue that career? Food for, for me has, has always been a, a very strong component. I grew up in a, a very strong food family. You know, we never were really gourmet or, or fancy when I was growing up. We cooked a lot of pork chops and pastas and casseroles and things. But that's where the action was. Both my parents were were great cooks. My grandparents on, on both sides were really strong in the kitchen and really loved sharing that experience. So that's just something that we all enjoyed together. But that's where the action was. So I hung out there and learned some little tips from from everybody. And it became an early passion. And now through the years, I've been in the food industry for over 20 years. And, you know, some of my first positions were working at the local bakery and washing dishes and working on the line at a, a random restaurant here and there, but really started to get the excitement for pursuing it as a career. I did go to college at Michigan State for hospitality business, and so I have a full business degree, and then eventually went to culinary school in Napa Valley in Northern Italy to get the full meal deal certification. And how did that morph into Outdoor Eats? Because like you said, you've been involved in the food industry for over 20 years. And if it has existed for 20 years, that's cool. But I have a feeling that it hasn't. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely been a, a later development. And I think once I moved back to Seattle and I started exploring the national parks and Mount Rainier and North Cascades National Park is one of my, my favorites up there. I kind of call it the Forgotten National Park. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous, but hardly anybody goes up there. And I've had a very diverse career within the food industry. And when I went to culinary school, it wasn't my my number one goal to open up my restaurant or open up my own restaurant. When I went to culinary school, it wasn't my number one goal to open up my own restaurant. I think that's the the path that a lot of people think of like, oh, you want to own a fine dining restaurant or you want to have five in a city. And for me, that just wasn't my goal. I really respect a good restaurant and a good, good dining experience. But for me, I wanted something, I wanted something to be involved with food, but I didn't quite know how that was going to work at the time. And I was lucky enough in college to have an internship as a research chef. And it was over in New Jersey and it was for a flavor company that made powder and liquid flavors for foods. And it was an incredibly eye-opening experience on how the food in the grocery store gets to us. 
And there's food scientists, there's research chefs that are working for six months or a year to create the new ranch dressing flavor or the new white cloth flavor or, or whatever it is that people are enjoying. There's a whole team that works on that. So I really enjoyed that experience and eventually was able to get my own position as a research chef outside of Seattle. And I tested and developed new ice creams, salad dressings. I taught myself how to make beer. And just a really, really creative part of the, the food industry that I think a lot of people you know, don't quite know about. So through those positions in Seattle, you know, I was also a head chef for a restaurant group there doing some culinary training and menu development for multiple shops there in Seattle. I would go on hikes and with my friends, just like a lot of you guys out there do. But the thing about it is when I went on those first trips is that the food wasn't very good because it was out of a bag or just nuts and jerky for the whole trip. And as a chef, I thought of it as a missed opportunity and meaning that we have this great vista that we went on. We have this great trip that we planned for. And then our food is just sort of lackluster. And it really got me curious and got me excited in order to start creating recipes with the hiker and backpacker in mind in order to be able to eat really, really well on those trips and to have it still be mindful of pack weight and volume, to be mindful of perishability, ease, and overall flavor and experience, because I want that food to complement those trips in a better way than just a packaged meal or just some nuts or some jerky. Yeah, that is quite a diverse background. <laughs> very thorough, though. I feel like, yeah, it's very interesting how many different facets there are to every industry that like people from the outside, they wouldn't necessarily ever consider, but it makes sense that they exist. And what you explained at the end there, is that kind of what you would summarize the mission of Outdoor Eats being? The mission of Outdoor Eats is to get folks outside for one. So however you're enjoying the outdoors, whether that is a longer haul backpacking trip, a day hike, or you're big into car camping, overlanding, bike packing, kayak camping, it's to have a recipe and a meal that can complement that experience. And to share that experience with your family and your friends, you know, there's sometimes where you do need a, a nice solo trip to clear the mind. But a lot of times we're going out with our friends and our family. And we often think about mealtime, you know, when we're cooking, quote unquote, inside or on the back patio as a, you know, a great time to get together a barbecue or a Super Bowl party or a holiday. But I want that experience outside as well. And it's been fun to be able to to share ideas and share recipes with folks that can really help them complement their experience. Yeah, I love that. And I also want to back up for a second because I realize we're talking about outdoor eats as if all the listeners know exactly what it is you guys do. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of overviewing some of the things that you guys offer and specifically focus on. Outdoor Eats has been going for about four years, and it is a website and community focused on eating well outdoors. So what we offer is a single recipe if you just need to bolster your, your meal plan. Or we also have full trip meal plans if you don't want to plan the whole thing. Or we have pocket-sized cookbooks that you can take along with you on the trail. We have a whole series of the Trail Meals cookbooks, and they are perfect for your backpack or perfect for your glove box. And they're a great, straightforward easy resource for you to be able to elevate your meals outdoors. We also do have a YouTube channel, which is fun to, you know, take a recipe out and teach people how to cook it literally on the trail or literally on top of a mountain. Also with the other social media channels to be able to you know, share pretty pictures of pretty places, but also pretty pictures of pretty food. 
Yeah, you guys have a lot to offer. And if people have listened to older episodes of the podcast, we do have a, like three episodes maybe that kind of talk about trail food to some extent. But Outdoor Eats approach is a little bit different, I think, than some of the other things that we've covered because you guys don't really do like dehydrated or like freeze dried meals. And those have kind of been like the main focus in the previous episodes. There's actually four. I just remembered. But anyway, <laughs> obviously, because we've talked about it so much on the podcast before, food holds a lot of importance as far as like sustenance goes. And for me personally, anyone that backpacks with me or hikes with me knows I'm the snack queen. So it's very important to me to have good food on the trail, to have a good experience. So for you personally, as a chef, why is food so important in the backcountry? Well, snacks are important and it's the more snacks, more snacks for sure. And there's a, you know, a lot of ways to break that down. And, you know, quickly going back to some of the other recipe resources out there, there's a lot of good options out there for, for helping you meal plan. Outdoor Eats it is a little bit different in our in our strategy and in the recipe creation where all of our recipes are 10 ingredients or less, ready in 30 minutes or less, mindful of pack weight and volume, mindful of dietary restriction, which we're going to talk about, you know, a little bit, a little bit more in depth a little bit later. But also to to have them be tasty and and fun. They are all created to be able to be made on a portable camp stove. Or we do have some no burner, no cook recipes as well. If you don't want to take the burner along, you just don't want to pack it out or or pop it out for for lunch. And with those, what I call recipe rails, I really put my research chef hat back on. And when I was on the trail, to really think about the challenges in in cooking outdoors. So I want to make them as easy as possible, as straightforward as possible. And as I started testing recipes in the early, early days, but also now we have over 300 trail tested recipes on the website, is that there are a lot of ingredients at most grocery stores that can work for backcountry cooking or can work for camp cooking. And I think the, the, the preconceived notion is that it has to be out of a bag, has to have, have to have a lot of salt or has to have a lot of preservatives. And every trip does have its challenges as far as what kind of meal plan that you're going to create. But I'm here to share that there are a lot of great options that, you know, maybe you just didn't think you could take in the backcountry, like snappies. Like they last four or five days on the trail, and we think they have to have constant, constant refrigeration, but they're going to do just fine. And they're going to give you some really great flavor, crunch, color, and some micronutrients. I have a saying in, in, in life that food matters. And each mealtime is an opportunity to have something super tasty. But I think in the backcountry, it's really interesting and something that's been surprising for me that for especially for these longer haul hikes or these very, very strenuous uh, attempts to peak something, the fuel that people choose is is actually very low in quality or very, very high in preservatives. And it doesn't actually provide you the best fuel that you could possibly choose. It does give you calories. It does fill you up. But the fact that there's so much salt, there's so much preservatives, and oftentimes the, the protein content is, is a little bit low or the protein quality or the ingredient quality is a little bit low in order to make some of these freeze-dried and packaged meals, to me, it, it doesn't make me feel all that great and doesn't give me the best fuel in order to keep me going down the trail or prevent me from bonking. And so having some sort of fresh ingredient or some some more quote unquote real food on the trail is something that has really complemented my experience. And from the community that we have uh, around Outdoor Eats, it's really changing the way people are approaching their meal plans. And, you know, I think we've all had these experience where you've had a really long day, whether that's on the trail or on the road, and 
it's just, it's time for dinner and you're hungry and you don't have a whole lot of time. The sun is going down, you know, there, it might be raining, those type of things, but having something that you're excited for really helps you push through those last few miles. And then you're eating pad thai at the, you know, base of a mountain or looking at a, an alpine lake and you're with your family and your friends. And that is an incredible experience that I think a lot of people aren't experiencing because they're just, you know, taking along what they, what they think they, they have to. And there's so much more than, than the dry stuff. Yeah. There's like a couple of things that I picked up on while you were kind of explaining that, like the quality of the food and then also like the nutritional value and what it's offering you for the type of hike that you're doing, some dietary restrictions mixed in there. And also like just general knowledge of what can be brought into the back country. Do you think that those would kind of be grouped into the main mistakes that people might make when they're first approaching their backpacking food? Or are there other ones that you might mention? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call them mistakes because that's that's the standard path for folks is you, you go to the outdoor store and you pack up your cart with a whole bunch of packaged meals and granola bars and head out there. And I mean, the other thing to think about and something that I think about a lot, too, is is overall price for these freeze dried meals is it can get really, really expensive over a, a longer trip. And a lot of our recipes, our cost per portion is 50 cents, a dollar, very, very reasonable. And you're, you're eating really, really well. You know, I think the other thing that I see a lot on, on different backpacking trips and different trips is that people are meal planning solo is if you're going on a four person trip and you know one person has a camp stove over in the corner by the log another person's over by the river and they're boiling water adding it to a bag and one person has stroganoff one person has fettuccine alfredo and we're not combining and sharing of that meal time and if one person has something that looks a little bit better smells a little bit better is then we're jealous of the other person so why not just meal plan together you can share the load as far as weight goes and share that experience come camp time where you can all have a you know great great pot of mango fried rice or shiitake sesame ramen something like that and really enjoy that experience together yeah i can elevate your meal and the general like camaraderie around the activity i think and in my experience, like when I go return to the backcountry with the same people, we have like our favorite group recipes that we always return to. And it's always just like kind of a fun planning process to do it together. Kind of, I'm trying to think of the right words, but like builds anticipation for the trip on some different levels. So, well, and, and, oh, go ahead. And the other thing to think about with on that, that track too, is just getting out of your recipe rut. Maybe have some really, really good ideas, you know, six or seven recipes that you make all the time and they're solid. You just want something a little bit different. And Outdoor Eats can provide that and just, you know, give you something new, fun, tasty, or just give you inspiration for maybe a new ingredient that you haven't heard of or didn't think you could take outdoors. Absolutely. I am definitely someone that needs to get out of recipe ruts in all aspects of my life. <laughs> so. We talked a little bit about like general planning and the thing that go the things that go into it before you get onto the trails. So how can individuals or groups plan to their preferences or even dietary restrictions? Yeah, so our recipe bank online is all searchable by dietary restriction or meal type. So whether you're going on a low water adventure or a plant-based adventure, we've got some great recipes for you. But for any meal plan, I always suggest to start in the pantry. And there's a lot of great pantry ingredients that can be very filling, very tasty, very lightweight and packable from rice noodles, instant rice 
to uh, your favorite ramen, you know, dried mushrooms are a great thing to include as well. You know, one ingredient that goes on just about every trip is polenta or grits. And it's a very, very versatile ingredient. Just make sure you get the quick cooking kind. There's some that cook in about five minutes. There's some very rustic stone ground options out there that cook in about 30. So be mindful of that because that's going to be a little bit longer cook when you're you know, sitting on the stump and uh, have the, the tent in your background. But that one I love taking along because you can do bacon, cheddar grits, peanut butter, jelly grits, grits or polenta or cornmeal or masa are all pretty much the same thing. There's a little bit of different ingredients in, in some of them, but they are all dried ground corn from a different country. So thinking about Italian flavors for polenta from Parmesan cheese to sun-dried tomatoes, Italian seasoning could be really great. Or also you can make it in a, into a tamale bowl and using some Mexican flavors and chili powders or some fajita veggies on top. So I love including that in, in most meal plans. After the pantry, I really think about protein, whether that's plant-based or meat-based and, you know, the chicken packets, tuna packets, summer sausages are super, super solid, but you know, the, the, the plant-based sausages are really, really tasty and they are a little bit more bulletproof. They're pre-cooked, they're vacuum sealed. They could last for a couple of days on the trail in some parts of the country, you know, country ham comes in some packages that can last for, for multiple days on the trail as well. It's kind of like a American prosciutto. So that could kind of be a fun one. Or I'm sure you're familiar with these, but the freeze-dried or dehydrated legumes can be really, really helpful. And I really want to make sure that, that there's a difference with that because dried beans or dried chickpeas are not a good trail food because they need an hour to soak and then 45 minutes or an hour to cook. So make sure they're not dried, but they can be dehydrated or freeze-dried. Yes, I feel that's a very important distinction. Someone would about to be very upset if they brought just yes. some dried beans. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and you know, as we you go along the path to creating your meal plan, then you can get into flavors, whether that's Indian flavors, Italian. We live in a time right now where there's so many great spice mixes or salsas or packaged ingredients that can be really helpful creating a meal plan, but also really helpful for creating different flavors. So that's another thing to think about as you're creating a meal plan is don't just have all Chinese flavors or don't just have all Mexican. Have a little bit of diversity there. It gets you a little bit more excited. For the longer haul trips, what I tend to do is say, for example, it's four nights when I need four dinners is I will uh, duplicate one of those meals or both actually both of those meals twice. So you can make pad thai on night one and night three and then make mushroom or beef stroganoff on night two and night four. So definitely helpful. So you don't have to take the whole pantry and don't have to take all the ingredients, you still get to eat really, really well. And, you know, the other thing when it comes to dietary restrictions, I think it, it can be a challenge to cook for a crew with multiple di different dietary restrictions. But what I suggest is that you make one pot that's basic, if you will. So like a mango fried rice and you don't make it spicy. You don't make it too salty. You don't put dairy on top of it. You, you make it vegetarian or vegan to start and then you turn it into a bar. So you have some other ingredients that you can add on, some, some veggies, some proteins, some spice or some extra salt for folks. You know, that's a thing to think about as well is different preferences and not just meal plans where if I served a five-star pad thai dish to somebody that didn't like spice, they wouldn't eat it. But it's really, really easy to add spice. It's really, really easy to add salt. And it's just so, so much easier to add rather than taking away and trying to fix it. 
So I think for for meal planning, there's there's a lot of little tips, but kind of going along that path from pantry to protein and veggies to spice and trying to make something that will be as approachable to as many people with your crew can be really, really fun. And it's often not as hard as you think. Yeah. One thing that I am curious about, and I know that other people have mentioned this to me before, is like as someone that is vegan on the trail, they're like, how do you get enough vegetables or anyone really like if they're doing like a through hike or something like that? They often are lacking some of those nutrients and they can always take multivitamins and things like that. But what are some of your suggestions for including more vegetables and fruits on the trail? Yeah, I think dried fruits are still classic. They they are really, really good, but the bulk aisle at the natural food store is loaded with them. So you've got tart cherries to craisins to I've got a great tropical granola recipe that's a little bit different than your standard option for breakfast with dried mangoes and papayas. Maybe a little bit of ginger in there can be really great. And so really utilizing those dried fruits are are really, really fantastic. And for vegetables, the, the ones that I've found that last the longest on the trail are snap peas, like I mentioned before, really fun and really snackable, uh, bell peppers, red peppers, any sort of Mexican peppers as well, if you want to get a little bit spicy from the Anaheims to the jalapenos. And those to me, and from my experience, last four to five days on the trail with minimal issue, depending on your trail conditions. It's always sort of an asterisk there, where if you're hiking the AT in Georgia, and it's a really, really humid couple days, these things are going to go bad a little bit, a little bit faster. But if you are going up to a high alpine lake, and it gets to 45 degrees in the evening, that can be a little bit of an assist for your refrigeration. For the sort of mid mid style trips from one to three nights, the broccoli flowerettes and the the veggies that are already pre chopped for you, you know, green beans are there too. I think what's crazy at the grocery store these days is there's so many veggies that are just ready for you. And you know, when I was growing up, you had to chop your own broccoli, and I'm, I still do because I'm a chef and I like using my chef knife. But for both throwing those veggies right into your cooler for car camping or throwing them right into your backpack. They fit really, really well. Again, share the load as far as weight, but they can work really, really well for those longer haul trips and uh, help you out with those micronutrients and also just texture and flavor as well. The other thing to note here is as we are, are talking about different recipes or different meal plans that you could consider taking along on your trip, there's a big difference between fresh and raw. So I don't ever suggest you take raw chicken or raw steak on the trail. It's just a big no-no. It is definitely a high, high-risk item. So for those, is you could definitely switch those out with some pre-cooked options or packaged options. So I just want to make sure that there's a difference between raw, raw items and you know raw bacon, raw chicken, those type of things, versus a fresh lemon, a fresh lime, or some fresh bell peppers. Yeah, fresh vegetables tend to pose much less of a risk <laughs> across the board. <laughs> well, well, and one thing I say, too, for mushrooms, whether they're fresh or dried, is they grow outside. And then we bring them inside to keep them fresh and, and eat them. But then, so we're just really taking them home when we're putting them in our meal plan to go back into the bushes. Yes, that's true. I suppose you could forage as well, but I don't generally encourage people. Disregard that I said that, everyone. I know. It, like, <laughs> that's a whole other, especially mushrooms, like I don't touch. Yeah. I mean, foraging, I think, can be like a really great option if you really know the area and what you're doing. But I think most people are like relatively novice level and it could be dangerous. So, yeah, I, that's one thing people say, oh, you should do a foraging cookbook. And I'm like, I will do it when I can get an expert and yeah. we 
we, we build content around me sharing with the experts info and like I'll suggest maybe like an herb, like a ramp or fresh fennel or like something like that. But when it comes to mushrooms, I am like, you there's do too many kinds. <laughs> I know. Too many kinds. Yep. Okay. So circling back. So one thing that I appreciate about the cookbooks that I have seen from you is that they are very simple recipes and they're very accessible. You can get all the ingredients at the grocery store. And I think they're 10 ingredients or less from what you said. And they don't require dehydrating, as we mentioned before. And you also said 30 minutes or less. Yeah. So how were you able to plan and create all of these? recipes and meals and make them so accessible yeah that was one of the 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 really early revelations for testing recipes for for camp stove cooking and for hiking and backpacking is that a lot of these ingredients that we're we're choosing to select are available at most grocery stores if there is a special ingredient i make sure to note it on the recipe so you can you know find your your coconut milk powder or a special mushroom or, or or something like that and I was really, really surprised that there were so many options out there that are very packable and can work for for these kind of trips. And I think the other thing is like going to the, the grocery store is sort of a field trip. And maybe you don't actually have a list, but just walk around and be like, OK, I'm going backpacking. What could I take? And there's packable pickles. There's Parmesan crisp out there. That is a great cheese source. If you don't want to take fresh cheese, there's, you know, different nut and snack mixes. Pork rinds actually work in recipes really well to give you another sneaky protein. You know, we also have a whole series of recipes called truck stop recipes. So they're using a bag of chips or a bag of crackers. So we have cheese at cheddar grits, uh, corn nut, pork rind, pozole, um, Dorito enchilada bowl and all of them can be made plant-based or with meat options on there. And it's a really fun way to be able to use some of these ingredients that we might just be snacking on. Or, you know, the other thing to think about is if you are provisioning at a Dollar General or you don't have a Trader Joe's or Whole Foods around is, well, how do you make a great meal with just a limited shopping experience? So it's been fun to really get creative with these recipes and have a lot of fun with them. And the goal for the recipe bank is that there's something for everybody. So they're not all plant-based. They're not all super hungry bear meat eater. But with 300 on the website right now, again, my, my goal is that there's something for everybody and to give you some great new ideas. So circling back, it's amazing to sort of put a new lens on backpacker food with using ingredients that are readily available. And you'd be surprised that, you know, they, they don't weigh as much as you think. They're not as hard to prep up as you may be thinking as well. But if the recipe is not 10 ingredients or less or 30 minutes or less, it does not make the website. And I just have to go back and rework it. And then how are the recipes like, are they like trial tested before you include them in the cookbook? Are you the only one that is trying them or how do they make the cut? Good, good question. I have had some had some that, that just don't quite work. I tried to make like biscuits, like biscuit mix or scone mix in a skillet. And it just it was like a dumpling. And it sure it was filling, but it did not taste very good. But basically baking with your camp stove is really, really challenging. So that one did make the cut. But we have a whole crew of recipe testers around the, the country and around the world now. So it's a really important part of the outdoor eats process. And something that I think makes us a little bit different is that all of you guys out there listening are recipe testers and you get to come along for the process. If you're interested, just hit, hit the website and sign up. So I know a little bit more about you and what kind of outdoor activity that you're into, but they, they take out a recipe, they test it. We've had some great tests in the you know rim of the Grand Canyon. 
to the PCT, the, the AT, or just cooking up in the backyard with, with their kiddos. And it's a really fun way to share this whole recipe testing experience, recipe creating experience. Because the thing is, is I could go out on a day hike, take some ingredients and test four recipes in an afternoon, but it's really not that fun. And I'd be wasting a bunch of food. I can only eat so much. And it's fun to be able to share that experience with folks and also to make sure that they work. So if a recipe needs three, four, five, six, seven tests, that's okay because it's not ready yet. It's not ready for you guys out there. But as you are looking through the, the recipe bank, each recipe tester has a recipe tester name, kind of like a trail name. So they get to choose that. So we've got a whole bunch of random ones from Kale Yeah to Sparkle Donkey to Mama Bear Outdoors to just Fred. That was his name. That's what he chose. So he didn't get too creative with that. But Fred tested a great recipe and uh, definitely helpful for the experience. Yeah, I love that you are bringing other people into the process and like the people that would be the demographic using these recipes, especially. I think that that is useful to get a wider perspective on the accessibility and functionality for different groups of people. Absolutely. But also at elevation or different styles of camp stoves, there's you know chimney styles, there's squatty pots, there's there's skillets, there's there's all these different options and different gas types as well. So it's really helpful and really, really important to get other sets of eyeballs on these recipes to make sure they work and that they're ready for you. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about the different types of stoves, but that is such an oh, important aspect. That, that <laughs> That's a whole, a whole different rabbit hole. <laughs> that is a whole different rabbit hole of which stove or which pot to take. But yeah, that's a whole, whole different section. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked a lot about ingredients and your process and kind of what you offer. So I think for listeners, when they are going to their grocer or wherever they are shopping, what are some ways that you would recommend for them to find higher quality ingredients or even more ethical ingredients to bring onto the trail? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. And I think it's, it's a good topic to, to discuss and, you know, health and wellness in quotes is, is subjective. And also we all have choices on how we want to personally eat or personally purchase things. And I, I think there's a large swath of, of what that means to you. But if you are looking for things, and especially things at the, at the you know, re- quote unquote, regular grocery store and not the farmer's market or not a specialty store is, is how to sort of see through some of the packaging or see through some of the, the fancy, fancy names in order to look for some quality. You know, organic is, is always nice when, when available. If non-GMO is, is important to you, those have their, they have some stamps out there as well. You know, what I look for and what I do for just about every food product is I turn it over. So I look at the ingredient listing and the easiest way is the shorter the ingredient listing, the better, in my opinion. And there are times where salt is needed or sugar or some other stabilizers are are needed to make the product safe or make the product be consistent for a long time. But I, I look for as short of an ingredient listing as I can and that I can pronounce most of the ingredients on there. But there in every aisle, there are some things that have a lot of additives and have a lot of, of sugar or salt or, or fat, again, depending on, on what you're focused on. But then there are also are some, some things, and often they might be at the top of the aisle or at the bottom or in the corners. That's usually where the, the smaller items are. They don't have as much money to advertise and promote in the, the center of the shelf. So that's a, a good way to, to look at that. But you know, I'm I'm not a, a plant-based eater, but I love vegetables. I just think they're good and they're very, very diverse. So most of my cart is full of vegetables with a little bit of dairy, a little bit of protein, and maybe a few snacks in there. 
and you know we're doing pretty good yeah i always think taking just a little bit of extra time to really look at the label especially if it's something that you've never bought before is really helpful and yeah if you look at the certifications any of those things or go back and listen to earlier episodes about greenwashing that can tell you a lot about packaging and marketing specifically in the outdoor industry but it applies to food packaging pretty heavily as well <laughs> there's another thing out there that isn't necessarily greenwashing but it's just sort of packaging highlighting and what i mean by that is popcorn for example labeled gluten-free and it'll be like, well, unless it is processed with bread in a processing facility, it is naturally gluten-free. But that is definitely a hot button ingredient right now. And so I think it's just sort of funny, like it's always been gluten-free, but it's just to be able to stamp it and confirm that it is for the people that it is important to. Yeah, that is a good note because, yeah, some of those things don't need to be labeled, but they have started yeah. to increase the frequency at which they are labeled that way. Sure. Well, and the, the other thing about food that I find fascinating is just sort of food trends through history, where if folks are old enough to remember is cholesterol was a big deal for a time, low fat was a big deal. You know, I read a, a great book recently that nerves were a big deal for a long time too, where you needed to calm your nerves with this specific tonic or with smoking or with something else. And we aren't talking about nerves anymore. And in five or 10 years, we'll be discussing a different ingredient or discussing a different trend. And that's that's sort of the interesting thing about how we have continued to eat through the generations. If, if I may, could I ask a question for you to kind of- Oh, sure, up? sure. Yep. So you're, you're very experienced on the trail. I've listened to a bunch of your other episodes and they're all really informative. What has been your favorite trail meal that you can remember maybe over the last couple of years? That was the next question I was going to ask you. So, oh, so yeah, we'll, so I'll we'll answer it first. Yeah, gosh, the best one that I have had recently. I mean, I have a classic that I have loved since I was a kid, but I, it's probably not like the best tasting one, which is just like chili mac, just mm -hmm. mac and cheese with chili classic it's easy to make it vegan too but i think the like go-to one that i really love is like a no cook one actually and i have it for lunch a lot and it uses the fish free tuna i forget the brand but it comes in a package and they have different flavors you can get plain or whatever and i just like to eat that and with a tortilla and maybe add some like slaw on top or something like that it's very simple and light so i can have it in the middle of the day like if it's a long hiking day or something like that but the other one i always bring the little like the small like street taco tortillas i love those uh, so i'll make like tacos one night too which is like pretty classic Sure. <laughs> just yeah, just bean tacos and rice it's delicious i mean it's it's trail tacos you, you can't go can't go wrong so a couple things that come to mind when you bring up that because i can talk food all day uh so for your slaw do you make that before do you make it on the trail uh usually i pack it before yeah okay. mm -hmm. so what you can do if you like is pack a couple brussels sprouts because they are mini cabbages and yes. just 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 slice that up real quick they don't take up too much weight if you don't want to prep it up before and the other thing you know i have a saying for outdoor eats but also for inside cooking is that toast is not bread and bread is not toast and tortillas are also fall in the bread category so i know you're probably not toasting your tortilla for your no burner lunch but if you have the burner out just swipe that that tortilla over the burner and it's going to give you some really, really great flavor and texture. And sort of one of my pet peeves for food ingredients is just bread out of the bag or tortillas out of the bag <laughs> where they're, they're just they're they're tired and they've been in there for who knows how long and they just need to be woken up. So yeah, just a little, little bit over the burner, a little bit in a dry skillet goes a long way to liven up the meal. 
Yeah, those are great tips. I love the Brussels sprout one because they are just tiny cabbages and I have never brought them with, but it makes a lot of sense. Yep. I did yep. want to ask you though, too, like I'm trying to get more into the no cook, like cold soaking meals. So you don't have to bring your camp stove. So I'll have to check out yep. some of your resources for that. Yeah. So I don't necessarily uh, advocate for full cold soaking, mainly because heat to food is magic and it really creates great flavor components. It can work for some trips. We do have a couple cold soak breakfast options and it's a you know multiple power chia bomb. So it's over a thousand calories with uh, chia, hemp hearts, some dried fruit, some coconut oil, like really, really good option for that. What I can suggest though, for those no burner, either day hikes or, or just times you don't want to pull them out is grain bowls or just a quick salad. So there's pre-cooked grain mixes and pouches these days. And you can really use it as a building block for a lot of different flavors. So you can do a green goddess grain bowl from BLTA grain bowl, mandarin pizza grain bowl, throw all your favorite pizza flavors in there. And that can be a really nice option to be able to have for lunchtime. You can either prep that at the trailhead or you can prep it at your, your lunch site. You know, I took it on a solo trip one time and I ate it on afternoon two and afternoon four. So it was marinating in my pack for a few days. And I did a YouTube video about that whole trip. And I've noted, I'm like, well, you know, it's four days. And well, there's some pepperoni in here and there's some cheese. And if I get sick, I get sick and I'm still here. So it turned out to be okay. So uh, I took a calculated risk, but it was very, very tasty after marinating in the pack for three or four days. Yeah, I could imagine. I know that but what, before I was vegan, I would bring trees on the trail, even in really hot weather. And it looks really gross, but it tastes really good. So yeah. it's very like, don't underestimate the power of cheese when you're out there. Yeah. For sure. Well, again, it just depends on your trail conditions where oftentimes it's just fine for a few days. If you are concerned about taking cheese, steer toward the more aged options. So, you know, dry Parmesans or aged Gruyere, those kind of things. So anything with less water lasts a little bit longer on the trail. And but also, again, those Parmesan crisps are really, really great or moon cheese that's out there these days. Can be, yeah, it can be a nice it's like a freeze dried moon cheese ball. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like those Parmesan crisps. It sounds kind of funny, but definitely has come through clutch on, you know, day five, six of the trip. Yeah, I think the Parmesan crisps are a cool idea. OK, you have to tell me what your favorite yeah. trail food is. Oh, man. So uh, I, I love eating and I love talking about food. So it, it very much is dependent on what I'm in the mood for, whether that's Indian or Italian. But some go to's that, that I very consistently go back to are I like eating noodles on the trail for some reason, whether that's in a pad thai or whether that's in a brothy soup. And they're very, very forgiving in their recipes. So we have a couple different versions of pad thai, whether that's more traditional one with tamarind paste and a little bit of rice vinegar or lime, or one that's really easy to shop for with just peanut butter, uh, sriracha, and a few other dry seasonings and dry ingredients. So that's a go-to. And it's really easy to make for one portion, really easy to make for a bunch of portions. So I really, I really love that. I also, like I mentioned, grits or polenta goes on a lot of different trips and it's a quarter cup gives you one good solid portion and you could obviously add more to that if you're feeling really really hungry but that quarter cup weighs almost nothing takes up very little volume and gives you a really really good meal 
And like you, I love tacos. I love Mexican food. So whether that's a burrito or a taco, trio tacos, I've been experimenting with a lot of, a lot of different flavors. So we've got some great breakfast taco recipes or breakfast burrito recipes. Also pizza trail tacos, or even I did an ultimate steak taco where I like rehydrated some beef jerky and some fajita veggies and threw an avocado on top. I was staring by a river in Durango and had a really delightful lunch and was able to share that and create that recipe there. So those are some some go-tos for me. But the other thing, you know, to think about too is as your meal planning is dessert. Don't forget about dessert. And I I like I love s'mores. They are a classic classic American combination, but for every season I can eat about two and then I'm done. And I just need something else. And if you want to eat 17 through the season, go nuts for you, but for me, I've had my fill and I need some other things. So thinking about some desserts that you can cook for your crew and, you know, caramelized banana nail wafer bowl, rice crispy treat bowls with some dried fruit or fresh fruit, or even just a caramel apple dip can really be a nice finish to your, your evening before you roll into your tent. And also one that I like to do as a surprise. So if you don't want a full meal plan together, a great way to do it is, hey guys, I got dessert. Don't worry about it. And you know, you're cleaning up, you're kind of settling in, maybe you're taking a nip of whiskey or having your summit drink or something. And then, you know, you come over with a nice warm dessert as the sun is going down. It's not a, not a bad time at all. Absolutely not. I never forget dessert. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that for sure. Yep. I think that my favorite one though, is like more of like a campfire dessert, which is, it's like a banana and you cut it down the middle and you put it in tin foil and then you put Reese's peanut butter cups in the middle and then bake it that way. Yep. It's so good. And so simple. Yeah. Yeah, if you do have the, the campfire, that is really, really good. And some other tips, if you want to elevate your s'more situation or even that experience is use different cookies or crackers or things. So I love using waffle cookies or stroop waffles instead of graham crackers or, you know, using Reese's peanut butter cups or darker chocolate or different sort of elevated candy bars or, or, or those type of things. Also, you can do a schmear jam in there. So like a raspberry jam, they do come in packets and a little bit of dark chocolate and the toasted mallow with a waffle cookie. That's pretty great. So I do have another food question for you if you're interested. So it isn't necessarily trail food, but it's, a, a, I think, a, a fun question to ask around the fire or on the trail when you're, when you're hiking is what is your favorite shape of French fry? And it's, it's really tough because there's like a dozen different shapes from, from I absolutely know. From Curly's to shoe, Shoestring to McDonald's to Wendy's to Pub Fries to Wedges. So what is the, your number? If you were like getting a veggie burger at a grill after the hike and you're like, mm -hmm. yes, French fries. What, what would you want on the side of that? Um, 110%. I always want waffle fries. Waffle. Nice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And bonus points if they put pepper on them. Ooh, peppered waffle fries. Yeah. Nice. So I the just love pepper. I don't know. I think it's like the texture. You get more potato for your bite, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. ratio wise in your mouth. So, for and sure. they work well, better. Like if you want to make tiny sandwiches, which is crazy, but like, it's fun. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So the other thing about this, this, this question, any of the ranking questions is it's the best version of each one. So I get a lot of people being like, well, I like tater tots when they're good it's like well yes of course i like tater tots when they're good too um but they are basically putting the top 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 of each style and each shape of french fry up against each other and the thing is there's no wrong answer to this question 
it's just always very, very interesting. And I'm like you where I'm a potato guy. I really like wedges and tots and waffle fries. And, you know, I like having that amount of potato and toothsome in the bite. But then there are other people that love the shoestring fries because they don't like potato or they've grown up with McDonald's French fries and that's the jam that they like. And that's awesome. So it's it's funny because they're all French fries, but then there's times where they get us even more excited. Yes. And I mean, I'm just excited about potatoes most of the time. So I can't, I can't be mad about a fry ever. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, uh, speaking yeah. of potatoes, I just made this great recipe, deconstructed samosa. Mm. So the Indian snack. So you have pastry on the outside. So I have instant mashed potatoes, flavored it up with garam masala and Indian spices, a little bit of snap peas in there, some French's fried onions, and then sauteed up some uh, croissants or some pita chips for the pastry experience. And put that all together in a bowl. And I had that this weekend on the trail and it was so tasty, so hearty. And, you know, another example of just having fun on the trail and trying to match some of the flavors that we can enjoy inside outdoors. Yeah, that sounds delicious. Okay, I'm getting hungry. So how can listeners learn more about you, Outdoor Eats, and check out some of your resources? Yeah, check out OutdoorEats.com for all of the recipes, plus some great packing tips, articles, and resources. I also have a YouTube channel, Chef Corso, C-O-R-S-O, where as I'm traveling around the country, I cook recipes or meet up with you guys out there and film a recipe and show you how to do it on the road or, or on the trail. And also with Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Outdoor Eats 365. And the other thing I can share too is that through the evolution of Outdoor Eats over the last four years is that I made a TV show and it's airing currently right now. Like right now, you can go watch it after we're done on Valley Sports, which used to be Fox Sports or Outside TV. So that is uh, out now nationally. And so check your local listings for that. And really, really excited about getting the recipes out to a larger audience. The, the the focus for Outdoor Eats TV is to tell approachable food stories. I think the thing about a lot of the outdoor content out there currently is what I call, it's epic. And mm -hmm. it's peak bagging, you know, four 14ers in a day, it's going on an ultra marathon at Death Valley, or it's a big old ski movie. And I, I watch those and those are very entertaining. But for most of us, we're, we're not gonna do it. And I'm up for a good challenge every now and then and push myself farther or higher. But most of the time we're gonna go on a day hike, we're gonna go on a car camp for a couple nights with our friends, or we're gonna go on a you know, relatively manageable multi-day backpacking trip. So it's a combination of a classic food show, a travel show, an adventure show, all put together in 30 minutes. And we literally go out and get dirty, cross rivers and find rocks and stumps to cook on. So check that out and let me know what you think. It's uh, been a really fun project to get off the ground. and. We're rolling into other ideas and other locations for next year. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Is it on any streaming services or just the network TV? So currently it is uh, not just uh, Bally Sports and Outside TV, but check out the website and check out Chef Corso YouTube page because I'll have some full episodes and some deleted scenes on there. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I'll be sure to share all of the links that you mentioned in the show notes so people can check that out later. But with that, thank you so much, Chef Corso, for sharing all your insights. Thank you. Thanks for having me and get out there and cook something tasty uh, with your family and your friends and share it. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear, let me know. Leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Instagram at outdoor.minimalist.book on YouTube, or subscribe to our weekly newsletter at theoutdoorminimalist.com. 
For even more updates, other educational resources, and to help build an outdoor community with the shared goal to create a better outdoor space as we recreate.